This episode of the TSN MMA show contains coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the interview edition of the TSN MMA show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we have some great interviews objectively to get to this week. Not like they're not always great interviews. They're always great interviews, right? If you enjoy a good interview, this is the show for you because this is the interview edition of the TSN MMA show. And who better to have on the interview edition of the TSN MMA show than perhaps the greatest interview in the history of MMA, and I don't mean this particular interview, but the interview subject. The notorious Conor McGregor headlining UFC 257 against Dustin the Diamond Poirier. Looking forward to speaking with Conor. Actually, that's not true. I've already spoken to him. So I'm looking forward to you hearing this conversation with Conor McGregor. If you haven't already, it has been up on TSN.ca as well as YouTube for some time now. But if you did not get a chance to listen to it, now's your chance. Had a great talk with him, and it was uh, nice picking his brain. You know, I, I spoke to him last year as well, and uh, I always like getting the thoughtful answers that he gives me. I try to ask questions that aren't always asked of him, and hopefully that gets a, a good reaction from him. And I think it did this time around. And his opponent, of course, Dustin the Diamond Poirier, will also join me on the show, as well as those in the co-main event, Michael Chandler, Dan Hooker. You know, we've just got to, we've just got you covered this week. What else can I say? Also have Amanda Hebus on the show. She is one of the top prospects in the women's strawweight and possibly even the flyweight division. And she might be doing some work there in the, uh, the near future. So happy to have them on the show. And then uh, just as a little bit of an Easter egg, I interviewed Roxanne Modafferi earlier this week. I was hoping to put it out before the event took place. I don't feel like it's super dated, so I'm just going to throw that at the end if you're interested in hearing my conversation with Roxy. I just don't want it to die on the vine. I thought it was a good talk and uh, nice to hear from one of the pioneers of women's MMA. So without further ado, let's get to the interviews. We'll start off with Conor McGregor, followed by Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker, Michael Chandler, and Roxanne Modafferi. Thanks for tuning in to the TSN MMA Show, interview edition. Always appreciate it. Here's the notorious Conor McGregor. The notorious Conor McGregor has made his way to Fight Island and is here for his much-anticipated rematch against Dustin Poirier. It's the main event this Saturday, UFC 257. So you were hoping to fight three or four times last year, Conor. Obviously, things changed across the whole world. When you were you know, facing this pandemic, if you were to take your average day and take your training, your family, and your business, out of a percentage out of 100, what did you dedicate to each of those things? 120 to each one. <laughs> 120 to each one. You know what I mean? I got lost in my practice. I got lost or maybe found in my family, you know, and then my business, I got, I, I put an insane amount of work into my business. You know, I had nothing else to do. There was a lot of uh, uncertainty around the world and, you know, I made the most of it. What do you think was the biggest thing you gained from the experience of, of having everything kind of shut down and uh, not being able to, you know, live the way you're accustomed to? Um, you know, I suppose there's no temptations around. You can't really do anything. There's nowhere to go. There's, you know, it's just, you gotta go, you gotta, you gotta go inside yourself. You know, you gotta spend time with your own thoughts and, and become comfortable in your own self. And that's it. Um, it was a learning experience. And, you know, I'm very ha uh, thankful for the year. It was a good year and I feel the better for it. Six plus years ago, yourself, Dustin Poirier, totally different circumstances from now. Both of you guys were on the ascent. You guys were on the rise. Everybody was saying Conor McGregor is going to be the next big thing. And everybody who faced you was tasked with trying to derail that train. Nobody was really able to do that. You became a two-division champion. But now both of you guys are so established. We've seen what you've done. In the last four years, I think Dustin Poirier has had the toughest schedule of any mixed martial artist. 
how do you think that changes the circumstances, at least inside the cage, for this particular fight? Um, uh, you know, it's he's had some uh, tough fights that can that can go to, uh, one or two ways. You know, pros, it's you know you've got experience in there. Cons, it can take it can damage the body. You know, I know he's been through surgery, had hip surgery recently, and you know. I'm confident going in. I think his skill set's pretty similar. I don't think it's any different, to be honest. You know, he's uh, all his reactions, all his shots, all his movements are very similar. He's been, he's just had more octagon time. Since you, mentioned last octagon. Fought, so. you mentioned octagon time. They say there's no substitute for in cage experience, but in the last two years, he's only seen 40 seconds of you in the cage. Is that a disadvantage for him because of all the things you've added to your arsenal? Uh, yeah, for for sure. You know, I'm coming in. I feel uh, I'm, I feel in amazing shape. I am in amazing shape. You know, my skill set. I, I I've grown so much in so many areas of fighting, and I'm just eager to get to show it. You know, like you said, it was a turmoil of a 2020. I didn't get I didn't get my competition which I wanted. You know, I want to I want to put my put my work to to the test. You know, I want to put it out there for the world to see. I want to entertain the fans. My die, my diehard fans, my hardcore fans that have supported me through thick and thin. You know, I want to go down back to 155, cut weight over to Christmas. This is all for my fans and for the people, you know, to entertain them. And I'm eager to get in, showcase all my work. And, you know, Dustin does not know what he's in for. That's for damn sure. Although, I think he does know what he's in for, to be honest. I mean, we fought before, but, he, you know, he, it's even more ferocious this time. That's for damn sure. You're all about the psychology of this sport. How hard would it be for someone to block out what happened in that first fight if you're Dustin Poirier? I see him reacting a lot. I see him hesitant. I see him I see him in a rush, in a panic. Pretty much the same way I saw him the last time. You know, that's going to be in his head for sure. But it was in his head beforehand. You know, then it became reality. So now it's going to be in his head before this one, but it's also a reality. So it's a double, it's a double whammy. You know what I mean? And now he's facing the double, the double champ. So, you know, I'm going to go in and, 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 and put my work on him and get him we, out of there in spectacular fashion. We spoke a year ago and you said something that stuck with me since then. We were talking about Khabib and you said, when you went to Brooklyn, the job was done. He stayed on the bus and that's why the fight became almost secondary that time. You felt you had already won. Seeing what happened in the fight, does that reinvigorate you? Is that why you want to rematch so badly with Khabib to show that what happened in the cage wasn't an accurate indication of what a prepared Conor McGregor would look like? Yeah, of course, of course. You know, I'm a com my competitive nature. You know, the job. You're right. The job was done in, in, in Brooklyn. He didn't get off the bus. He embarrassed himself. He embarrassed his people. He, the way he tries to portray himself, and you know. But look, this is that's a different time. It's 2021. You're talking 2018 now. There's a competitive nature in there now. I would like to compete. Uh, you know, correct. And and uh, and he doesn't want it. He's afraid of it. Let's let's be real here. He's walking away from the sport. He's you know, um, and at the end of the day, I smacked his whole family around inside that octagon. Do you know what I mean? I, I finished the fight. He got out of there. He got out of there, jumped out, looked great, and then cowered away when he when he landed on the on the ground outside the cage. So, you know, his own father, God rest his soul, said, we need to get revenge against Connor for the brawl. That's his own father's words. And, you know, I'm here for it. Bring it on. So, it is what it is. It, like I said, it was many years ago. 
it went away. It went. I'm going to continue. I can't get, you know, getting caught up in this is kind of holding me back. This is how the, it kind of originally started because they wanted me as an alternate for a fight with the Tony and uh, Tony and Khabib fight. And I'm like, Look, guys, I'm not an alternate. You know, give me my own events. I'm around, but, you know, I need my own events. You want me to wait for months on end in the hopes of a fight, of maybe getting a fight, you know? And I was like, I was not into that whatsoever. And this is to do with all of this crack. So I just want to compete. I, 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 I went about this the way I went about it to get myself in the octagon again. I'm very happy with how it's at the panning out. I'm very happy with the opponent. I believe the top of the division is Dustin. Um, former champion, former foe. It's a great fight. I get to see Fight Island. I almost made it with no fans. I would have been excited to get in and showcase my power with no fans. That wasn't to be. We've got a couple of thousand, but a couple of thousand with McGregor's power is like minus fans, you know, so I'm looking forward to showcasing that. And, you know, all in the past, we're into the future. It's positive. It's, it's composure is what it is, maturity. And that's it. You talked about maturity, and you mentioned 2018, the press conference back then. Is that Conor McGregor still in there somewhere? The Conor McGregor that, that you know, puts on the big show outside of the cage? You know, I'm certainly a different man, for sure. You know, I'm a father now, a father of soon-to-be three. I've been through a lot of personal things outside the octagon and inside the business side of the octagon, and... You know, I don't know. I couldn't tell you that. I'm just me, who I am in the given in at any given time. You know, I am. I am what you see. I am what the UFC slogan is. I am as real as it gets. You spoke to Tony Robbins. You said something very interesting about Dublin, number twelve, where you where you grew up. That you're not supposed to get out of there. You're not supposed to be where you are. I look at your approach right now, and you were talking to Ariel Hawani and said that you'd want to fight Ayala Akinto. You'll fight anybody that they put in front of you. Are you trying to get back to becoming? Just another fighter in the division almost? Like, go back to the blue-collar roots of how you came up as a fighter? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm just trying to compete, man. They won't give me, you know, it's hard. I'm, I'm finding it hard to get the bouts. That's it. I just want, I want competition. I can't get them. You know, I'm like, but now I have one, so that's all I'm focusing on. And I'm open to fight anyone on planet Earth. Anyone on planet Earth. And, you know, if there's a bit of history, if there's a bit of spark in the fight, I want it. You know, and that's, that's where I'm going. So, uh, you know, like I said, we've got a good, a good opponent ahead of us next Sunday. Sorry, this Sunday. And that's it. We're ready to go. I'm about to get in and get my sprints. The W Hotel have been phenomenal here. We just got in today. They have a full gym here in the hotel room for me in my own room. Like, and I've got the walk bike. I've got the rower. I've got my heavy bags. I've got the kick, uh, the bob guy that you kick around. And uh, I'm going to do some sprints. And, you know begin to get the weight down so uh yeah onwards and upwards we go i know you're gonna say they're all easy matchups but if you look at the top of the lightweight division if you were to rank them from hardest to easiest of the people that you're faced tasked with facing in the division if you look at uh justin gaethje you look at dan hooker michael chandler tony ferguson your opponent this weekend uh dustin poirier habib how would you rank them from the hardest matchup for you to the easiest I tell you what, this is going to be an easy rematch for me this Sunday. But it won't be my easiest rematch. When I get that rematch against Habib, it will be an easy rematch. And I guarantee this. If he wants to continue running, that's no problem. I'll eliminate the rest of them. Besides him who, who ran 
It is Dustin. He's knocked out Justin. He's beaten Dan Hooker. And, you know, Chandler, I don't know really, you know, he's come from the Euro, a, a lower league. And, you know, he hasn't been testing the UFC, so we'll see. But um, And then Justin has beaten Tony. So, you know... I would say it's. I would say Dustin is right up there. You know that's that's why I'm excited with it, and that's why you know you're going to see the levels and the difference in levels between myself and the top of the division. You know I am just in space. I am not from here. You know that's that's where I am at. I am from a different planet with my skill set, and I look forward to showcasing it this Sunday morning in Abu Dhabi. Now I see you wearing the McGregor fast shirt. You've talked about. Shifting the way you spend your money from material things to building yourself up. When did that switch in focus happen? And what are you able to do that other fighters that don't have the same material wealth as you, uh, what have you been able to do that gives you a leg up over them that they're not able to do? Uh, well, I certainly have, you know, the luxury of having an amazing team around me at all times. Anywhere on the planet I, I go, I can bring whoever I want, you know. My family even. A lot of fighters don't have the luxury of bringing their family with them. I get to share this, all of these experiences with my family. I don't have to be away from them. As well as multiple coaching, head coaches and masters in their own right. And, you know, that's that That would be something that I would have. But, you know, it's just about it's just about recognizing what you need to do, who you need to deal with, and getting it done. And that's, I'm a master at it, you know. And that's, I suppose when I started realizing about this was, you know, being in a situation where I'm spending what I'm spending on things that don't really mean anything and I don't, that don't benefit me in a physical or a mental or a health way at all. And then I read something about, about Le LeBron James, who was like, he spent 1.5 million annually, 1.5 million per annum on his physical health. And he has masseuses and physical therapists and nutritionists. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, but I, I, I would do that. But for an eight week camp, I'm like, no more. Now it's going to be all year round. And that's basically what I've done times, times a lot more. And finally, we've heard the prediction. Let's test the overall mysticism of Mystic, Mystic Mac, of the notorious Conor McGregor. You said under 60 seconds for Dustin Poirier. But when you visualize that fight, and I know you visualize everything in this world, not just the fight game, but in, in terms of business, in terms of materializing anything and manifesting anything, what is the strike that most often puts Dustin Poirier away in your mind? Oh, there's, a, there's an array there's an array of shots and, you know, it'll be, it'll be all coming at him ferociously fast with power and precision and patience and composure. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a masterclass. What shot it is, it could be, you know, I've got so many shots in my book. I could write a trilogy, you know, so tune in and see. We saw the shoulder strike last time. We know to expect the unexpected. It's the rematch between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. It's this Saturday, UFC 257 in the main event. Conor, always appreciate your time. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. He's in the main event. It's the rematch from six years ago. Dustin Poirier taking on Conor McGregor, UFC 257. How at peace are you with that first fight? Obviously, people talk about how different it was, but in the back of your head, you know you've been in there with him before and you felt uh, his power and all of that, although at a different weight class. You know, the past has made me the person I am right here in front of you, and um, I'm at peace with it. How do you get to that place? 
um, where, you know, all of that stuff is kind of behind you and you've moved on. Again, I mean, time heals all wounds. It has been a long time. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Exactly. Time heals all, all wounds. And, you know, I just pick myself back up, dust myself off, keep rolling with the punches, keep learning, keep getting better. And um, that's how I've always, you know, overcome any loss in my career is just get back in the gym and work harder. And the circumstances, the same mistakes. Again. Yeah, the, the circumstances are so different this time around. I mean, at the time, you guys were both young fighters. You know, Conor McGregor, whenever he was lined up with somebody, people were like, well, this guy's not taking what's mine. You know, I, I've worked to get to this spot. Who does this guy think he is? Nobody really knew how good he was at the time. Now you're established. He's established. It, it just gets rid of that whole kind of narrative, that the whole, oh, you know, which, which person's going to end up rising. You guys are both at the top of the game. Yeah. We've, like you said, we've established ourselves. This is two of the best fighters in the world um, in their primes competing for 25 minutes. The fans should be excited. And the other circumstance was the weight cut. Last time we spoke, I believe you said you cut something like 30-something pounds to get down to 145 for that fight. I'm not sure exactly the uh, the pounds for that one, but I have cut 30 pounds to make 145 uh, in the past. I'm not sure if that particular fight i cut that much but it was at least 20 and that was your last fight at 45 that was when you you said you know that this weight class is, is it's a bit too much for me in terms of the weight cut yeah i was kind of sticking around because i was so close to a title shot and after that l um i knew i'd have to fight you know a few more times um, to get back in that position to be in line for a title shot and um it, it didn't make sense to keep uh, stressing my body and cutting that much weight if I wasn't going to be next in line to fight for that belt. It's interesting because you look at when McGregor beat Alvarez, became the champion. Since then, you look at your strength of schedule, it's got to be the, the toughest schedule that anybody in the UFC's had. You're talking Alvarez twice, Holloway, uh, Khabib, obviously, uh, Justin Gaethje. I mean, I don't think anybody's had a tougher schedule than you have the last four years. And then you look at what he's done. He has the boxing match with Mayweather, the fight with Khabib, and then 40 seconds with Cerrone. It's hard to really gauge how much improvements he's made while yours have been right out there in the forefront. Yeah, uh, I've been busy and I've been in some scraps and I've been evolving. But I, I'm going to keep in my mind that he's been in the gym as well, working hard, evolving. And, you know, we're both completely different fighters from that first fight. You know, it's funny. I spoke to Neil Magny probably about an hour ago, and he put it in such a, an interesting uh, frame, frame for me. When you've got an opponent, you're so focused on your opponent that when you don't have an opponent and you're just in the gym, you're focused on yourself. You know, you've only fought, you right. only fought once in 2020. How important was it for you to have that kind of time to focus on Dustin Poirier? Very, very important. Uh, he's right. You know, I feel like the biggest learning, whenever you're in training camp preparing for fights, you're getting ready to to beat a certain style of fighter. You're getting ready to perform. You're sharpening what you have and preparing for their, you know, skill set. Between fights, like Neil was talking to you about, that's when you really grow. You're you're in the gym trying new stuff, having fun. Um, it's just a different kind of training atmosphere. So I understand completely what he's saying, and he's and he's correct. Does that make this kind but of? A, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Time in 2020, fighting one time in 2020 might have been needed. Um, you know, uh, with that active schedule and with these crazy fights, maybe I needed a little bit of time off. Uh, might have been good for me. 
does this make it a tougher fight mentally for you having such a small sample size of Connor at 155 pounds in general and, and just in just from again the last four years what we've seen from him you know that there's probably a lot more uh tricks up his sleeve that we just have not seen yet he's crafty man uh he's uh unpredictable you know in his fight with Cerrone he came out very aggressive throwing shoulder strikes. He's a good athlete. So I, I don't know what, I don't know what to expect, but I expect a competitive fight. I expect a well-rounded fighter at this point of his career. And I'm just excited to get in there. He's predicted that he will knock you out inside of a minute. What you've said you would like to see happen is you want both of you guys to be kind of bloodied up at some point and, and have it be a test of wills. You've won so many of these tests of wills in the past, the, the Gaethje fight, the Alvarez fight. In this particular situation, how are you going to get it to become a test of wills? What's your strategy to get it to a point where it, it gets to that second level of the fight, where you're getting to second or third gear and, and whoever hits fourth gear first is going to be the one who ends up being the winner. And in, in those fights, you have not lost them. To be smart, to, to not fight with emotion, to use my skill set, and, and that's just it, to be smart in there. I saw you did an interview with Luke Thomas where you, you, circle, you write down the date of the fight, and you make a circle, and you write inside of the circle all the things you can control, and outside of the, the circle are the things that you can't control. Your emotions are one of those things you can control. We all know that Conor McGregor right. has gotten into people's heads in the past. We've got about... Uh, what is it, about 10 days before this fight. A lot can happen in those 10 days when you, when you start seeing interviews that McGregor does. Are you going to avoid those interviews? Are you going to try to avoid his words for the most part during that time? You know, I see headlines and things like that, but I don't really, I'm not searching for videos or interviews. And if I do run across one, I'm not watching it. Um, I just know the game, where I'm at right now, the amount of fights I've had at this level, that's all noise. Now, is, uh, is there going to be some sort of press conference uh, that's being lined up? I don't know if it's been announced as of yet. I'm not sure. I have no clue. I haven't heard anything. Another thing is that he's donating to your foundation as part of this. I mean, this, this has been as cordial of a fight as, as we've seen from Conor McGregor in the past. <laughs> Do you almost feel like you, you need to build some animosity in your head towards this guy? Do you need to watch the first fight or something along those lines to say, okay, this guy's donating to my charity, but, you know, this is business? No, I know what this is. I know when that bell rings next Saturday. Um, I, I know what I'm in for. I, I I have enough experience to be cool in the lead up and on, on fight night, be the guy I need to be. Now, again, outside of your control, the odds for this fight. McGregor's a pretty heavy favorite. I believe he's around a three-to-one favorite in this fight. Um, do you feel like that's insulting to you? Because in my opinion... You've established yourself as the best guy in this division if Khabib is hypothet uh, hypothetically out of the picture. You're the guy. We, we've, like I said, I, I think you have the toughest strength of schedule anybody in the last four years. I don't think that there are, you're going to find a lot of people that disagree with that. Do you find some disrespect in that? Do you think people are just thinking of the first fight and not thinking of the body of work since then? Remember that circle we were talking about? That <laughs> is outside of it. So it doesn't matter. It's noise. Yeah, exactly. During this time, you've released uh, your own hot sauce, Dustin Poirier's hot sauce. Uh, what is the hottest thing you've ever eaten? <laughs> Look at that. A true salesman. You have, it, you have it right on you. It's, right, it's in the holster. <laughs> <laughs> the hottest thing I've ever eaten um, would probably be 
I was at this um, hot sauce shop in Louisiana, and they had a, a hot sauce called Satan's Blood, and that was the hottest thing that I've ever eaten in my life. What did you have it on, or did you just eat it on its own? It was crazy. To try it, I had to sign a waiver, and then uh, they dipped a toothpick in it, and they told me not to let the toothpick touch my lips. And so I just took the tiny, you know, you couldn't even see. That's how small the amount was on the toothpick, and they put it on my tongue and ablaze. <laughs> you might need some of that before the fight just to get the adrenaline going, just a little bit of Satan's blood. To, to get <laughs> I, don't it. I don't know if that's banned by USADA or not in competition. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to find out. I'll leave that stuff alone. <laughs> yeah, I certainly don't blame you. Now, now this is a fight where, uh, with a win, it'll really enhance your legacy long term. Um, you know, Conor McGregor is, is going to be one of the, the all-time great combat sports, uh, you know, competitors of all time. And, and if you beat him, right. that's going to help your legacy. But is, your, is a more important part of your legacy the charitable aspect of it? All of the stuff that you've done outside of the cage, uh, the Good Fight Foundation. Would you rather be remembered for that or be remembered as being one of the greatest fighters of all time? Or is it equally as important? And that's a tough one. I'd have to, to give you a real answer, I'd have to think about that for a while, probably. But off the top of my head, it's, 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 it's equal. You know, of course, for me, I want to have that history. I want to have that history book. I want my name in there. And, but I fight for a lot of reasons. So it's a, it's a deep question, man. I'm very proud of the work me and the Good Fight Foundation has done. And I feel like that transcends fighting. I, I fight for a lot of reasons. I'm proud for the reasons I fight for me and my family. And I'm proud for the, for the reach that the Good Fight gets and the publicity and the platform the Good Fight gets with my fighting. So I put all that on my back, and I, and I carry it proudly, man. I, I'm very grateful. Yeah, it is a tough question, because when you think of your family and the people around you, I'm sure that they'd rather remember, you know, Dustin helped donate, raise $5 million for charity, or whatever the number ends up being, because this charity is going to continue beyond your fight uh, time, than be one of the great athletes of all time. You know, like, you, you think of the philosophical part of it, and it's, it is, again, a very tough thing to reckon with. Yeah, it, it is. I... I you know, fighting means so much to me. It's been my passion. It's been my focus and, and my goal to be the undisputed world champion. Uh, but as we we grow and, and mature through life, you know, different things mean 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 more to us. We realize the position we're in. And I know how much people I can, I can help with this platform and with the fighting and with the bringing awareness to causes and, and needs that people have that don't have that megaphone or that main line to the audiences and, and to the rest of the world like I do with ESPN and with interviews like this, um, that fighting has provided me um, to be that voice, and I don't take that lightly. And finally, a much easier question to answer, a lot more straightforward. This Tuesday, your birthday, what do you have planned on Fight Island? My wife, I think, will be out of quarantine on my birthday. So there's my present. My wife is flying to Abu Dhabi uh, as we speak. She's going her way to Vegas to start the quarantine process there. So that's it. It'll be good to see my wife. All right. Well, a happy birthday to you uh, coming up, number, number 32. Really, the true prime of, I think, a mixed martial artist is 32. And you're, you're entering your prime, you're hitting your stride, and you're going to be facing Conor McGregor in the main event of UFC 257. It's Dustin Poirier's world. We're just living in it. I appreciate your time. Thank you for this.
Thanks, man. It is the co-main event of UFC 257. It's the debuting Michael Chandler taking on this man, Dan, the hangman hooker. And Dan, I owe you an apology. Do you know what for? Uh, why don't you enlighten me? Well, I had brought up on our last interview the Felder curse. And you said, Aaron, I hope you're not jinxing me. And I also hope I didn't uh, jinx you, but yeah, I owe you an apology. Curse. <laughs> you did curse me, bud. Yeah, that's all your fault. I'm, I'm holding you solely responsible for that. I'll take the L. I mean, that, I'm 0-1 now. 0-1 is a professional. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael Chandler, he's new to the UFC. Uh, I heard in another interview you'd been done with, uh, I believe it was with Oscar Willis, that you hadn't really watched many of his fights before you even signed this fight. So having watched some of his fights, what have you learned about Michael Chandler? Yeah, I hadn't. I, you know, I hadn't looked at his career, to be honest. I hadn't even watched a single, I'd seen highlights, but, but watching a fight and studying a fighter is a completely different um, ball game. And I'm impressed. I'm impressed with what he's done. And I can definitely see where, um, where all the excitement's coming from, where all that hype behind him is coming from, because just he's been competing at a high level for such a long period of time, you know, his third fight of his career was in Bellator and he's been there ever since. So he's been fighting top tier lightweights since very early on in his career, which a lot of other fighters don't. A lot of other fighters will, will build their careers up, you know, then get into the UFC, then fight top tier fighters. Like he's been doing it um, very early on in his career. So I, I have a lot of respect for, for what he's accomplished. I spoke to him and he talked about matchups being so important in MMA. And I, I brought up all the big names in the division, yourself, Gaethje, Ferguson, Habib, Connor. And I asked him to rank them in order of who would be the easiest matchup for him. And he said you would be the most difficult matchup for him of all the fighters at the top of the division. Why do you think that is? Oh, just because of my length, because of my range and, and um, more more because of the style in which my game is is built around like using keeping him out um you know he's he wants to get on the inside he's a shorter guy that wants to pressure in and, and get takedowns i don't think i'm <laughs> i don't think i'm the easiest guy to put on my back it's been uh it's been a long time since um since i've been um out wrestled in a fight or, or held down in a fight you know it's been a very long time um so i don't I don't think that's how this fight's going to play out, uh, you know. So I just think it's it's difficult. It's difficult for a shorter guy like him um, to duck in when there's uh, that potential of those knees coming up. You know what else has been a long time since? It's been a long time since you've gotten a sub. What's going on? You're the hangman. I, I love watching you uh, work your grappling, and you haven't been able to do it lately. I'm 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 eager to see you uh, perform on the ground. Yeah, well, everyone's. Uh... Everyone's takedown defense gets a little better when you get a little higher up, so it's <laughs> it's a bit more difficult. But uh, I'm I'm out there trying. I'm out there trying. I even tried to sub Gilbert Burns. I'm I'm still out there with the attempts. Well, the odds on you getting a submission uh, win in this fight is around nine to one. So don't tell anybody. Let's keep that a secret between us. Uh, that probably makes sense that uh, Michael Chandler doesn't really have a neck, so I don't. I think he'll be. I think it'd be easier to knock out than submit. So um, um, I think your money's uh, money's safe in your pocket with that bet. 
And with Chandler, have you watched the two Alvarez fights? Just as a fan of the sport, what did you think of them if you have? Uh, yeah, I have watched um, those fights. I feel like he's got a lot better since then. I feel like he was still um, pretty green in in those Alvarez fights. You can definitely see, see uh, his character in those fights. You can see what he's made of and, and where he's prepared to go uh, when you watch those fights. But in, in terms of skill set, I feel like he's developed and, and gotten a lot better since those fights. You have a, a lot of volume in your game. You, you land a lot of significant strikes in a fight. This past weekend, Max Holloway landed more significant strikes, not only than any fighter, but than any two fighters in any single fight in UFC history. What did you think of his performance, knowing that he's probably going to be facing, you know, as long as Alexander's able to get the job done against Ortega, your training partner sometime in the future? Oh, I thought that that was ridiculous. I thought that fight was ridiculous. I thought Max, Max's... Uh pace was incredible um i'm still i'm still gonna have to watch that fight a few more times i thought that was incredible um you know hats off to to Kada. i thought he did um you know a lot of a lot of subtle stuff on the inside um to to take the heat off a lot of those punches and and he was able to recover well um but that's an incredible amount of strikes and the pace that he set and the technique and and the change of style in which he um imposed on Kato was was incredible and you and Max are actually quite similar fighters I find when you watch him do that for five rounds do you feel like you can you know turn up the octane in a three-round fight like this one I mean I, I can't remember um if you have been in have you been in two straight main events I believe two straight main events now uh you're back to a three-round fight when you see that kind of volume does that inspire you to be able to turn up the volume uh for a three-round fight um well, in this fight, I plan on getting hit a little bit less. That's like uh, that's like a big focus for this fight. You know, I have got my strike count up quite high in those last two. I, I would like to um, outstrike in this fight. You know, I was telling Dustin Poirier before the last fight, I was gonna smash his face in, but I forgot. I forgot the second part of that. I'm not gonna get my own face smashed in. So for this fight, I'm, I'm changing it up. I'll, I'll smash Michael Chandler's face, and I won't get my own face smashed. I like that plan. That's a sound, a sound plan. Uh, <laughs> I, I like it. So I want to hear about this particular trip. So from the moment you get to the airport in New Zealand, tell me about your travels, how long each flight is from when you leave and until you get home. Uh, I know you have an appointment scheduled for when you land in New Zealand. I just want to hear the full itinerary because it's pretty mind-blowing. You know, most people try to avoid a fight. The lengths that you're going through to get into a fight are impressive. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, the trip here was great. The trip here was um, not too bad at all. We just hopped on a plane uh, in Auckland where I live. Flew. We just had one stop, didn't get off the plane in uh, Kuala Lumpur, and then straight to Dubai. Landed in Dubai and then uh, hopped in a van and was taken, uh, driven, which is like a, just over an hour, to get to Abu Dhabi, to Yas Island. It was quite funny though, we, we had to stop at uh, like a quarantine, uh, not a, like a coronavirus checkpoint. Um, and they were trying to put like a wristband on us to, to track us and all this sort of stuff. And they were gonna test us there at the border uh, again. But then once they realized we were, you know, with the UFC, they, they let us through and knew they knew we were coming to uh, Yas Island. Got here. 
48 hour lockdown fight week. So I'm here for about uh, almost two weeks. And then I'm in Abu Dhabi for four weeks before I can uh, fly back to New Zealand. And then once I'm back in New Zealand, I've got a two-week quarantine. So it's about uh, just under an eight-week trip all up. And so that's like more than 10% of an entire year. What are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? You're going <laughs> to... I'm going to stay here in my basement in Toronto is what I'm going to do. <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable how, much tra- how many miles you're logging. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, what are your what are the other options? Like uh, sit on the couch at home in New Zealand. That's one, but that's not uh, that's not awfully exciting. I'd like to get out here, travel, fight, um, and progress my career. You know, you, you, you just, I'm hungry. You know that, that I feel like that just demonstrates um, how hungry I am for for what I want to achieve. I'm not sure if you mentioned it. It's a fifteen thousand kilometer uh, trip from Abu Dhabi to New Zealand, it's about an 18-hour flight. So you have to do that again on the way back as well, which is also probably not a lot of fun. Yeah, the flights are not that bad at all. It's, uh, um, it'll be the sitting in hotels, which is uh, a bit less exciting. The flying, I, I can get through. You can close your eyes, and I'm, I'm quite good at sleeping. On the, I slept 13 hours on the, on the fly here, so I've, I've got a bit of a skill for that. Yeah, that is a talent that a lot of people would love to have. Being able to sleep for that long on a plane. There are people that can't sleep on planes. They're on trips for 22 hours from whatever Canada to New Zealand. is probably about 22, 26 hours, something like that. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely a, a skill to be envied. In terms of what you're going to be doing in the hotel, what are your plans? Do you have like a list of TV shows you're going to watch? Do you have a bunch of video games with you? How are you going to occupy much of your downtime? Yeah, here's cool. Here's cool on Fight Island because there's um, there's still a bit to do. You know, we've got gyms and a pool and training rooms, and you know, there's so much going on with the media. So it's things are ticking over here. You know, there's no real time um, to get to get bored over here. You can keep pretty busy. And then after the fight, when I'm in Abu Dhabi, I'll, I'll move around Abu Dhabi to the Dubai. You know, things in the UAE are, are, are pretty open, and they've got the COVID um, situation pretty well under control which is, is good to hear so we'll be able to live you know pretty normal life check out gyms and and just travel and train and then yeah it's getting back to new zealand once you're in the in the quarantine hotels then it kind of it kind of comes down to luck of the draw sometimes you get a good one and you're allowed outside and then uh other times you 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 can get chucked in a hotel in the city when you're kind of locked down and you're only allowed out to walk around a courtyard for half an hour a day. So it's, it's luck of the draw. So I'm just, uh, I'm just hoping I don't get into one of those. So let's say things go according to plan. You, you hit and don't get hit against Michael Chandler and you, you come out fresh. If the UFC said, we've got another fight for you in Las Vegas in a couple of weeks, we're going to make sure you get home to New Zealand by the 21st of February so you can keep your appointment. Would you like to jump on a plane and, and compete? What's your answer? Done, 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 done a thousand times. If I get that, that saves me. You're, you're thinking, I'm, ti- I'm time saving then. Then I am... Uh, I'm being extremely economical. That's saving me another two-month trip. So I'm saving 10% of my year. You know what I mean? Like it just makes it's just makes good sense that. Have you mentioned that to them at all, that that could be a possibility? 
Oh, you don't wanna you don't wanna look past him. <laughs> sneeze. I hold my sneezes in. I hold them in like my emotions. Um no, you don't wanna you don't wanna get ahead of yourself, you know. I used to do that when I was younger, tell Sean Shelby, man, after this fight, get me on this card, get me on this card. And he's like, settle down, settle down, son. So I've settled down in, in my uh in my seven years in the UFC. Um We'll approach that after the fight. I've got a great opponent idea for you, if you'll hear me out. Rafael Dos Anjos, he just fought Felder, slam dunk. Rafael Dos Anjos, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I don't feel like that makes an awful lot of sense. But he's, got the curse. The he's got the curse of Felder on him, so it's an easy win. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Yeah, that, that is a slam dunk. That's, uh, that's money in the bank, is it? <laughs> So the main event, UFC 257, on a more serious note, McGregor, Poirier. Uh, I know that you haven't really made a prediction for this fight, but what I do want to ask you, in terms of, at least in terms of who's going to win, who's going to lose, but if Poirier wins, how does he win? And if Conor wins, how does he win? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a better question than asking me uh, who I think is going to win because that's, uh, if I knew the answer to that, I'd, I'd put all my money on it and, and be a millionaire. So... That's a better question. Um, I feel like if Dustin, uh, if Connor can put the heat on early and and catch him, catch him early and hurt him, and and set Dustin on the back foot, that's that's where he'll find his advantage. So I feel like if if Dustin just just moves and can avoid taking that damage early on, it'll be better for him. You know, the the longer he can drag this fight out, uh, the better it's going to play out for him. He is a durable guy; he can take a shot. But it would be good to just see him, you know, move and and avoid that that left hand of Connor. So the left hand of Connor, if he can catch him early and hurt him early, um, of course that's that's his path to victory. If Dustin can can create some kind of scrambles, create some kind of wrestlings, and drag this into the later rounds, I think that's where his advantage lies. So um, I don't know too much about Kiwi popular culture. What I do know, one of my wife's favorite movies is the uh, what's it called, The Hunt for the Wilder People. And uh, we've watched that. We've watched Flight of the Concords, which I think might be an American show just starring uh, Kiwis. And then we've also got uh, Short Poppies. I like Short Poppies. Give me a recommendation for a good comedy from New Zealand because you've got a good sense of humor. No, Flight of the Concords is a New Zealand. That's a New Zealand show. Well, HBO put, a, put it on. So, so it wasn't. They, didn't they do a season where they came to America? Or am I messing that up? No, nah, no, nah, that's uh, that's that's part of it. That's like the big thing. The 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 boys head over to to America to make a splash in the in the American scene. But that's uh, that's a, that's definitely uh, that's definitely Kiwi written. That's the that's the boys doing that work. Oh yeah, no, I figured it was uh, it was done by people from New Zealand. I just thought it was distributed in the U.S. But I, it, so the U.S. have it, it's just as popular there than I assume. Yeah, well, it's pretty big in New Zealand, uh, Flight of the Concords. But we're, um, uh, nah, you need to you need to watch yourself a bit of rugby. You need to you need to check out some rugby and 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 get into that. That's the national that's the national game. I like the rugby sevens better, but I, I, maybe I'm crazy. I, that, that's just me. I like rugby sevens. Faster paced game, faster paced game. I can appreciate that. <laughs> All right, well, you can appreciate the fast pace because you're a, a phenomenal fighter, a phenomenal athlete. We appreciate your time, and uh, best of luck in the co-main event, UFC 257. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you.
He's been one of the top lightweights in the world for the last 10 years, and now he brings it to a brand new platform in the UFC. He's the co-main event, UFC 257 against Dan Hooker. So, Michael, mentally, I'm sure you had a list of the people that you match up best against in your mind at the top of the division. If you were to tell me who you think of the top five, six guys in the lightweight division that you personally match up best against, who do you think that would be? Uh, I think I match up best with Gaethje, Poirier, and uh, Connor, probably honestly. And then Dan Hooker, Dan Hooker would be after that. He'd probably be fourth. So uh, it's interesting that I end up with Dan Hooker first fight, but man, I didn't sign with the UFC to have a walk in the park. I didn't sign with the UFC to have anything less than the most challenges that I could possibly have in, in, in this second half of my career. That's a really interesting answer. So why do you think Dan Hooker po- would pose more of a threat or be a worse matchup for you than those other three you mentioned? I just think he's, uh, you know, I don't think he's necessarily more skilled than those other fighters that I mentioned, um, nor would he win in the contests against them. But I do believe his physical attributes, coupled with his, his uh, willingness to exchange, his, his tough chin, as well as um, just the different aspects that he brings to the, to the octagon. Um, and he's, he's ranked number six. Obviously, I wanted to fight number two, three, four, or five before I fought number six. But uh, beggars can't be choosers. Dan Hooker was the guy who said yes when everybody else said no. So um, here we go. January 23rd, we get a great opportunity. I'm excited about it. Yeah, that was my next question. What other names came across your desk that, for whatever reason, it didn't come together? Every, every single one of them in the top five besides Connor. Um, they all, and, and rightfully so, listen, these guys have cut their teeth in this organization. These guys have, everybody in the top five has fought in this UFC lightweight division for five to ten years. These guys have, have put their time in, their blood, sweat, and tears in. I realized I was an outsider, a newcomer, a dark horse. I realized nobody wanted to really be the first guy who stepped into that octagon with me. Um, so I completely get it. If the shoe was on the other foot, I would completely understand. Um, so Dan Hooker was the guy that said yes. And every, every other one of them said no for their own personal reasons. And uh, you know, the good thing is I have a fight lined up. We have a contract signed biggest card of the year. And uh, the co-main event of UFC 257 isn't a bad way to introduce yourself to the UFC fans. That's always why I thought the rankings are kind of dumb. People look at your name. It doesn't have a number beside it, so why risk their ranking to, to face you? I, that's kind of what I believe the mentality is in MMA. Yeah, it's true. And, and, and of course, there's always the business aspect of it. There's the business component of it. Every single one of these guys is a smart individual. Um, they're trying to think about their own personal career, their own personal brand, their own personal journey to, to get to the top and to get the financial um, security. And they also have managers who are advising them and managing them in their decision-making and what makes the most sense for their careers. So I completely get it. Um, yes, there's not a number next to my name because I'm a guy who's coming from the outside. But the great thing is every single one of these guys in the top 10, every single one of these guys in the UFC lightweight division and across the entire UFC roster has seen some of my body of work at least. Um, they've seen my resume. They've seen my previous fights. They've, they've watched – uh, my previous fight of the year candidates that I've been in, um, that I've been in. And uh, there's a lot of respect, mutual respect between myself and a lot of the fighters in this, not just in this organization, but also within the division. So people know who I am. And um, on Saturday night, next Saturday night, I get to uh, put a stamp on that. 
Watching those fights, I think, would be their first mistake because uh, facing you after watching those fights would be probably pretty terrifying for most human beings. But one thing that you mentioned, I think it's kind of short-sighted. I think that you had mentioned in a previous interview that Dana White has said to you, your numbers are trending high. People know who you are. People are interested in Michael Chandler. I think that if any of these guys got in there with you, they could only elevate their stock. You know, we know what to expect if we see Justin Gaethje face let's say, a Dan Hooker or, or a Ferguson. People are more familiar with them. You, you kind of have this aura of mystery around you right now uh, as a result of coming in from Bellator. Yeah, I will say, Aaron, that, that is kind of one of the, the, the things that I thought, you know, when I'm having these conversations with, with my manager, um, I sit back and say, man, I get I don't have a number next to my name, but that's only because I don't have any tenure in the, in the, the organization yet. But um, there's a lot to be said about a guy who steps up and fights the guy without a number next to his name. You know, there's there's something to be said about the competitor spirit, the competitive spirit of the guy who says, I will fight that guy coming from another organization who doesn't have a number next to his name, who we don't quite know what to expect when he puts on those UFC gloves and steps into that UFC octagon. Um, but the uh, the opposite was, was true, in fact, and Dan Hooker said yes. Um, and Dan Hooker, I, I appreciate Dan Hooker stepping up and being the guy who will test the waters of who is Michael Chandler. Is he any good? Uh, I know, I know, he's taking a chance by fighting me, um, especially because he, I think he knows the skill set that I bring to the to the the competition. Um, but it remains to be seen. I'm excited to go out there and compete. Put my put my skills for all the world to see um, at UFC 257. Well, it certainly seems like the UFC is doing right by you since you've signed. If you look at the biggest two pay-per-views, the one with Khabib uh, taking on Gaethje, of course, a massive pay-per-view. You, you were associated with that one as the backup uh, for that championship fight. Now you're on the Conor card as the co-main event. I mean, they certainly are making sure that the eyeballs are going to be on you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's definitely a humbling feeling. It's a humbling experience to to come in and uh, and feel that kind of that kind of love or that kind of support. Um, but it is a long time coming. You know, it's, it's not as though I'm a newcomer to the sport. I am maybe a newcomer to the UFC, but I am uh, not a newcomer to, to, to the sport of mixed martial arts, the competition of mixed martial arts. My body of work stands on its own two legs, and, uh, and I've had some great performances, uh, a lot of ups, a couple downs, uh, a couple comeback stories that, that people can dive into and, and hopefully be inspired by. So I think I just bring a, I bring a decent amount to the table to be able to uh, – you know, for, for that support to be warranted. I by no means came in and stomped my feet and demanded anything. I just think the UFC sees an opportunity in me, whether it be, um, you know, things outside of that octagon or the the ferocity that they know I'm going to bring inside of the octagon. But either way, I think it's going to be a perfect storm for 2021. Me, me starting out the year with a bang January 23rd and then carrying that on into another win, possibly a title shot. Uh, and hopefully get that UFC strap by the end of 2021. Now, no disrespect to Patricio Pitbull, who I wouldn't even really consider a lightweight or to Brent Primus, but I think the three best lightweights ever compete in Bellator are yourself, Eddie Alvarez, Will Brooks. Now, the commonality you all now have shared, uh, and I guess as soon as you, you step in the cage at UFC 257 will be that you've all fought in the UFC now. Eddie Alvarez became a champion. Will Brooks kind of flamed out, and I'm curious why you think that is. Uh, you know, just like... Uh... I will agree with you, by the way. I think uh, myself and Eddie uh, and Will Brooks are probably the three best to ever do it inside Bellator. Um, but just as you alluded to Will Brooks not having a great – I think styles make fights. And just because Will Brooks fizzled out, I mean, he could have fought 
25 other guys in his uh, in his three fight stint and and won those fights. Just like I um, did not match up well against him whenever we fought. I wasn't in the right space mentally, physically, and spiritually where I needed to be to go win those fights. And uh, turns out he was the better man in the confines of the competition on those nights. Um, so I think it's uh, there's a myriad of different reasons. Um, for him, I'm not quite sure what it was. He had all the physical talent. He had all the uh, the abilities to be able to go out there and have a successful UFC career. And um, haven't put a ton of thought into it, but I, I do look at Eddie's road. Eddie had a tough road, as, as will I. I expected to have a tough road. I wanted the top five guys right away. He went uh, Cowboy Cerrone and Melendez Pettis. And then, you know, RDA, I believe, after that. So um, he had a tough, tough road. And I expect to have a tough, tough road starting with Dan Hooker. And then somebody else inside the top five, whether it be for the title or not, and uh, hopefully cap this year off with a UFC title shot by the end of the year. And if I recall, I think he also faced Charles Oliveira, who you were aligned with for this particular fight. Apparently, Charles said he didn't want to cut the weight on such a short turnaround. When you look at Styles yeah. making fights, I mean, Charles Oliveira is going to be a tough guy for anybody in this top five to, sp- uh, to stop based on his incredible jiu-jitsu. And, and, of course, I think his striking has really been elevated to new levels. Yeah, the Charles Oliveira that we see fighting right now is, uh, is a much improved version uh, of, of the young man who started with the UFC a long time ago. You know, he was one of those guys who came into the UFC at a very young age. He's got a decent amount of losses. Um, but a lot of those are, are missteps or bad weight cuts or um, just bad tactical errors that, that he made as a, as a young man, as a young fighter. As all of us in this division continue to grow, continue to mature, continue to, to grow in and blossom into the, uh, the adult grown man mixed martial artist that we are. You know, I just saw an interview. Connor was talking about how him and Poirier were young and single, whenever, or not single, but, you know, they weren't married. Um, the first time they fought, now they're both married with, children if not two children you know the so the ebbs and the flows and the growth process of of each individual fighter in this division um division is, is something great to watch obviously i've been watching it from afar now i'm watching it with more of a a insider keen eye because these guys will be my future competitors but charles Oliveira is on a terror uh and i completely understand obviously for the record why charles Oliveira didn't take the quick turnaround he fought middle of december and they were asking him to fight middle of uh middle mid to late january Four-week turnaround, I completely get it. I knew that one was going to be a long shot. Either way, we land on Dan Hooker uh, January 23rd, and I'm excited. You were kind of in the same boat, and one thing that I really respect about you is that you are able to take time that you want to set aside for your family to make sure that that's uninterrupted time. I think that that's uh, something that's got to be good for your headspace in this sport. Yeah, it's good for my headspace, and it's, I mean, it's, it's really just uh, the most important thing for me in my life is seeing through to my commitments. Integrity and character is doing what you say you're going to do and then following through. Um, the day that I married my wife, I promised to love and take care of her and cherish her and serve her for, for until I take my last breath. And the same thing when I adopted my son a couple of years ago, he didn't understand me when I was saying it to him, but I promised him I was going to love and care and, ta- and take care of him and protect him. So when I was on the road for eight months straight, training away from them down in Florida because of the coronavirus, not getting any time with them, not getting the personal touch, the physical touch, the, 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 emotional, um, the emotional support that they needed, uh, it was eating away at me because I wasn't, I wasn't following through with my end of the bargain. So I needed a couple of weeks to just go home, 
and be dad, go home, be husband, take my wife on dates, uh, hang out with my son. I needed that time for myself, but also as, as a, as a show of my commitment to them. And, and if that makes me, um, any less any lesser in any of the, any, anybody else's eyes, um, because I made that decision as a father and as a husband, instead of just as an athlete, then so be it. Uh, father and husband are more important to me than athlete ever will be. So, um, it's all working out well. It's a crazy life we live, especially right now in the era of the coronavirus. We're figuring it out. As you can see, I'm in my hotel room right now, uh, 24-hour quarantine, then hopping on a plane for 16 hours to be in another hotel room for 48 hours quarantine. Just a crazy life we live. So um, the small, quick trips and time that I can go give my family is, is uh, absolutely uh, paramount to my success, and um, they're the reason I fight. Now, I'm in Canada, so I'm a little bit separated from the political situation right now in, in the U.S. and that climate. One thing that I noticed you tweeted was that you are also on Parler. I know that app, I guess, right now is down. But uh, what kind of a difference would people that followed you on that app have gotten than uh, following you on Twitter? I know that app is a little bit more politically oriented, whereas Twitter is more personality oriented based on if you're an athlete, you're, you're mostly tweeting about your athletic endeavors. Would they have gotten anything different from you on that platform? No, if you'll actually see, I mean, I, I was brand, I'm brand new to it. Um, Truthfully, I, I, I joined Parler, Gab, and uh, Clout Hub all at the same time. I think uh, what we're seeing right now, whether you believe in it, whatever side of the political spectrum you are on, um, silencing people um, and, and censoring people on social media is, is definitely something that we need to call into concern on uh, in, in this country, in the United States, the, the, the greatest free country on the entire planet. Um, and the reason that the reason that we are such a great country is that we have the freedoms that are, that men and women died for over the last uh, century. So um, it's uh, it was just me joining other social media platforms as well. I'm still active on Twitter. I'm still active on Instagram. And um, if you will see my content, it's not as though I am posting anything political. Um, I have three or four posts on Parler, I believe, and they are all just regurgitated videos and quotes from my Instagram or Twitter onto a parlor account. It's just another way to spread myself out, um, spread my, my reach out more on social media. A lot of people took it as a, um, using words like white supremacists and Nazis and all this kind of other crazy stuff. Obviously parlor is more right leaning. It is more politically driven. Um, I by no means associate with any of those, types of groups as well as um, and I also condemn any of those any of those um, activities that those people are engaged in, nor do I share any of those far right wing political views. But um, I am a red, white and blue blooded American. I love the freedom of speech. I love the First Amendment. And uh, me spreading myself out on social media was not a uh, was not a, a a stab at any of the other or other social media organizations. It was more just me spreading myself out. I'm glad I give you the opportunity to clear, to clear that up. I think a lot of people were, were interested in, in you. why you joined that. Well, it's good that you're, you're spreading your, yourself out and spreading out your brand. So uh, I'm glad that you had a chance to clear yeah, on that. And, well, and I appreciate you asking because truthfully, it's been about a week now where I've, I've sat and I've mulled over it because I don't want people to think that I'm associated with any, any extremists. Uh, but there's extremists on both sides. And what I also said, too, was maybe Parler starts out right, right-wing leaning, if you will, um, but every or every social media starts out a certain way and then spreads itself out and becomes more all inclusive. And I think Parler, you'll see that with Parler. Um, 
over the next uh, couple of years. But um, just like Instagram started as a, a app for photographers and now you got all of us on it. So um, it's just the nature of social media. A, but I appreciate you asking, asking that question because um, I'm all over the place now on social media, trying to expand my reach as much as possible. And uh, I imagine after January 23rd, that reach will even grow further. And I, my, my goal here is to, to love on, inspire and motivate everybody. So um, I appreciate you asking that question. All right, Michael, I appreciate your time. Thank you for this, and uh, best of luck to you for the co-main event, UFC 257 yourself, Dan Hooker, and we look forward to seeing your UFC debut. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Aaron. I'll see you at the top. One to watch at UFC 257, a potential future champion. It's Amanda Hibas, who's taking on Marina Rodriguez. And I've got to ask, you've got such positive energy all the time. When you're walking out to the cage, when does it flip? When do you go from it being kind of a celebration to business time? Yeah, it's not sometimes I'm like positive like this. I think when I up, I am a little slow, you know, I take a time to talk and start to log <laughs> But I think when I start to grip my hands, and that's tape, and this time is really serious for me because I start to to think about the fight, to think about the strategy, to think about how much I train it to this moment, to that moment, man. And so I think starts in, in that time to think about it, everything, and stay focused. Do you get very nervous before a fight? No, I'm nervous when, before they sign the contract, oh my goodness, my stomach hurts, I start to pimple everything in my arms, in my face, it's before they sign the contract, yes, I am anxious, nervous, but right now I think all my, my camp was done, my workout, my hard workout was done, and now I think it's just cut away. Enjoy the process and think about this strategy. So you say you get nervous before you sign the contract. Is that before you know who the opponent is? You're waiting to find out who it is? Or when you know who the opponent is, you sign it and you get excited because that's when the hard work starts? I think there's a lot of emotions about the fighter, about the weight, about the city that will be, about the camp, because we need to schedule everything. So I think is. This all together makes me like, Well, I can't imagine during the time you turned, tw you were 23 years old when you signed with the UFC and uh, you were suspended and you were completely cleared of doing anything wrong uh, eventually, but it took a long time. So at age 23, you, you got your dream of signing with the UFC. I read that you cried when you found out you had signed and your, your father cried and everybody at your gym had cried. It was such a, a, a celebratory moment. How difficult were those years for you? And, and were you able to, to channel that energy into your training? Yes, I think it was a lot of crying, a lot of water. <laughs> but was was amazing when I signed. And that stuff about the Yuzada was sad. But at the same time, I, I get more knowledge. I learned a lot of... And, in my debut fight, 
was a dream come true because in the booth I I made it and I I think with the booth every I could I could prove not just to me but to a lot of persons that think the fighter was a bad guy who fought in the streets but with that win I can prove we are athletes we are MMA fighters and we can do a professional work in my city too the, the amount of knowledge you can get from age 23 to 25 the amount that you can learn in that time is, is pretty amazing how much better do you think you were in that first fight than when you signed with the UFC two years prior how much I learned it yeah, how much better were you when you had your first UFC fight versus when you actually signed to fight in the UFC when you were 23? Oh my goodness, I learned a lot because in the beginning I didn't know it about the inside of the UFC, you know? Because everybody knows about the octagon, everybody knows about the brand, but inside to the UFC there is a lot of person people a lot of people working and the people are like if I can here without learn about this maybe I will be lost because in some fighter some events the fighter just came go cut the weight fight and go home no you see you need to come before do interview and do a lot of stuff and then cut weight and then fight. So this, in that time, I learned a lot of about how I need to do, what I need to do to, be, to get better performance. And you had gone with Jessica Aguilar, I think I read, that you, you were with her for a fight week and you got to really see what it was all about before you had your first fight. Yes, for sure. That was my first experience in the UFC and was in Texas was amazing and learned a lot of and I was inside the camp because I was there with her I was learning about the training about the UFC about a lot of and you're very brave not just because of what you do for a living but I saw that on your Instagram you have your phone number listed now I'm I'm not as famous as you are and I would never give out my cell phone number to everybody what's the weirdest thing that's happened to you but since you've given your phone number out <laughs> not dying imagine that oh my goodness because there is my my friend my friend no my sponsor he take care of me so imagine if i put myself on oh my goodness oh so that's not your phone number okay because i saw a phone number on your instagram and i wasn't sure what it was. i thought you were giving your cell phone number and i was like wow that she's very brave i, I would never do that no 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 it's not mine Imagine, if I put my WhatsApp there, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm glad to hear that, because I thought uh, that you probably got a lot of weird messages if, if you did give your cell phone number on your Instagram. Yes, for sure, for sure. Thank you to tell me that. That's, that's most of you are being, trying to be careful with me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't but want people sending you weird messages. <laughs> yeah. In the Instagram, they sent some message to me. What? What is this? No, calm down, guys. Calm down. It's not like that. 
<laughs> oh, people send you through your in their direct messages through Instagram, send you weird stuff. Oh, for sure. Because I don't know. The people are crazy. I am crazy too, you know. I'm not telling nothing wrong because eh, sometimes we don't think too much. But eh, there is a message. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you ever send your opponents messages before a fight? I have what? How, oh, have you ever sent your opponent a message before the fight on, on Instagram or social media? Sent them a direct message? No, I never did that. No. I saw that with Paige Van Zandt, you guys trained together recently. Uh, what was that experience like, uh, having been in the cage with her, trained to face her, and now training with her? Was well, really different and amazing at the same time. Because my last camp, I did fight against her. And now she helped me at my training camp. So it was amazing. This, I think this is the real sport, you know, the real, the real spirit. Because it's respected. She can be helping each other. She will fight you, uh, box without gloves. And I'm sending such a really good vibes for her because she's a sweetheart. Well, it's nice to hear that. It's nice to hear the martial arts spirit uh, between the two of you. So you've moved to Florida for some time. You've been in uh, Florida. What's your favorite thing about living there? Sun. I like sun. It was cold, but there is days was with sun. I like the sun. I like the my coaches in America top team. My my manager he lives there too. So for me, stay there. It's amazing. Ah, there is food good too. I I like to eat. So I, my dad. He was there with me, and he all the time, hey, Amanda, let's go do something. Where do you know here? And me, okay, then. I know rest, Italian restaurant. What do you want to eat? Picanha? We have. Uh, what? Uh, chocolate? We have. Cupcake? We have here. So every place to eat, I know there. And you guys have Burger Fi there. Burger Fi is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> I know Gilbert Burns likes Burger Fi. He always tells me that he, he enjoys Burger Fi. And he's going to fight for the championship, so maybe there's, there's something there. Yes, I don't know what to have, but it's good. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for your time. Best of luck against Marina Rodriguez, UFC 257. You're certainly one to watch in the division, uh, making your way up the rankings, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. I say thank you to you. Thank you to everybody. And sending good vibes for my fight. I appreciate Three fights in 2020, and Roxanne Modafferi is right back on the horse at the beginning of 2021. A big fight, Viviani Araujo. It's in Abu Dhabi this Wednesday. Uh, what's the, the time change been like for you? I guess it's about a 10-hour, 12-hour time difference? Yeah, 12 hours. It's been a challenge, you know. Um, the first night I was here, I went to bed at 4.30 in the afternoon and then woke up at midnight like, yeah, I'm ready to start my day. So that kind of stunk, but I'm trying to get adjusted now. I have a few more days. Yeah, I, I imagine it's probably not that easy. But yeah, and I guess the show starts pretty early. So you're on regular Abu Dhabi time once Wednesday rolls around. Um, it's it's Abu Dhabi time. Thank goodness I don't have to fight at like 2 in the morning. Uh, but my fight will still be late. It'll probably be like 10.30 in the evening for me. 
So um, I think last time we spoke, you, you like to go to bed early, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to take <laughs> caffeine pills, I guess. Is that usually how you cope with it? You, you take some caffeine pills and you're ready to roll? Yeah. Not a five-hour energy or anything along those lines? Just regular caffeine pills. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully those uh, th- those kick in right in time for when you uh, you walk into the cage. Uh, wh- what can you tell me about your opponent, Viviani Arujo? I'm really excited to fight her. Um, it's not a rematch. I've had so many rematches lately, so it's exciting to fight somebody new. Um, she looks very fast, very strong, very quick, you know, kind of like me. Um, she's shorter than me. I have a longer reach, so I'm just excited to implement my game plan upon her. It'll be <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, it's funny, and this is something that's completely outside of your control, but I, I looked at this before I spoke to you. This is your 10th UFC fight, and you've been an underdog in every single one of them. Yet you continue to win fights, and you continue to uh, to show that you belong, of course, in the UFC. Uh, do you take that? I'm guessing you probably don't take that very personally, seeing uh, these betting odds. Oh, that's exciting. It's my 10th fight. Oh, that's awesome. I, I haven't really kept track. Um, I think against Lauren, I was not an underdog, was I? At closing, you were. But, I mean, you, you opened as a favorite. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Okay, that's cool. I mean, that's great. So my friends can make money off of me. You know, people are still thanking me for my Macy fight. You know, like, oh, thanks, Roxanne. I made so much money off of you. I'm like, it's my pleasure. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was so we were about cool. a seven to one underdog in that in that particular situation. So that might be probably the biggest uh, underdog spot <laughs> that any of your friends might have been able to capitalize on. Mm-hmm, I think so. So it's nearly the one-year anniversary of that particular fight. Uh, you know, Macy has not gotten back into the cage. Uh, do you think that Macy still has the ability to become a champion? She's still very young, and uh, obviously you, you got to be in there with her and see what she's all about. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, I think she works very hard. Uh, I like that. You know, she. Um, I think she's a little sassy at times, but she works hard, and I really respect that. So, you know, I, I'm rooting for her. I hope that she goes, there, goes out there and has a good fight. I think she's going to fight in a few months or something. Oh yeah, most likely she's going to come back from that injury. So that's that's good news for her. Um, in, in terms of in terms of your career, how, how many times are you looking to fight this year? It was again three times in 2020. This is, I believe, your 43rd fight, something along those lines. So, um, how active do you plan on being this year? I'm excited. Um, I feel like I was only getting two fights a year, which is you know I would like more. So it was exciting for me to get three last year. Um, I'd like three or maybe even four for this this coming year. This year now. Um, I just like, I want to fight a lot. You know, I don't have forever. <laughs> um, I think including the ultimate fighter, I have like 48 or something fights. And uh, it'd be cool if I could break the record of the person at the gym with the most fights. I think Gunderson, the fellow at my gym has the most at like 52 or something. I'm coming for your record, Guns. <laughs> Is there a female in MMA that has more fights than you? I, I'm just thinking about that now. I, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Uh, yes. So there's a list. I'm trying to, I think, I think Megumi Yabushida, did I pass her? There's some Japanese, uh, Masako, um, uh, Yoshida Masako, I think has as many as me, or maybe I've passed her by now. I forget, but we're pretty close. I'm almost there. I'm almost number one. Well, I don't think she's active anymore, so you you can get there. (laughs) By the end of the year, you might be able to, to eclipse that record. Um, you started, I guess, 17 years ago in MMA. Women's MMA back then was in basically the prehistoric age. You know, there were so few uh, women's mixed martial arts fights. What was your first fight like? You know, your first walk to the, the cage, it might have been a ring. I, I don't know. What, I, you know, I haven't had a chance to watch your first ever fight. But what was it like compared to what it's like now? 
Um, so I fought in Smack Girl in Japan. It was a little ring in a nightclub. And um, yeah, this, just the level was way lower. You know, um, I was pretty much a jiu-jitsu fighter who did some kickboxing and I got hit in the face three times and I took her down and armbarred her. <laughs> so um, there's no amateur back then. So it was very different. You know, um, people were more one dimensional back then and it was fine. Um, but now everyone has to know everything and fights are a lot more crazy. Like people are getting crazy like moves and techniques and stuff. I don't know. Like it's, it's different. It's a different animal. So prior it's to exciting that, but... and I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm just happy to have evolved with it. You know, I, I'm where I am now because I'm able to evolve. You know, I didn't believe in lifting weights. I believed that my jujitsu technique could just beat everybody kind of like hoist Gracie. But as the evolution happened, that was no longer possible. You know, I started losing all my fights. So coming to the States and then getting stronger and, you know, getting better kickboxing was the key to that. When you look at when you started, I guess you had been practicing judo and karate and jujitsu. Um, which, which I guess, martial arts language have you improved the most at since you started your career 17 years ago? Where do you think you have uh, learned the most and improved the most? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I started with Taekwondo and Kempo and kickboxing, but I really took more to grappling and judo and being able to use uh, people's balance against them, you know, as the smaller fighter. And I think it's probably because I've never been physically strong or gifted as an athlete that just my body adapted better to that. And what weight class were you fighting in early on? Because there obviously weren't as many weight classes as there are now. Yeah, I was walking around like 135, 140, and then just fighting at that weight. You know, um, you just cut a few pounds and that was it. That's what I did, you know. And then over the years, people started like cutting water weight. And then I had to adapt as well and drop the flyweight. I, I guess with the flyweight division, uh, you know, ha had this been brought to the UFC years earlier, do you feel like you would have been in the UFC for a much longer time? Um, I think not because my skills were still such that I needed to develop more and I needed John Wood to do that. He's a, an amazing coach who's very specifically good for me. Um, I have a hard time finding coaches who I can, um, gel with, so to speak. And he was definitely the one who had to improve me. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you see so many people stay with their respective camps for such a long time without, you know, kind of trying out a bunch of different things. Like I look at George St. Pierre. Most people consider him to be at least a top three fighter of all time. And he was like a real nomadic fighter. He did his jiu-jitsu in New York. He did his most of his training in, in Montreal. And then he'd go uh, to Krufil Nurse for some, some other uh, different types of training. I believe his Muay Thai training. Uh, why, why do you think so many people are entrenched in one camp? And do you feel like if people try to, I guess, explore their boundaries a little bit more, they might find someone like a John Wood that you were able to click with kind of in the latter stages of your career? I think it totally depends on the person and the situation. So I've trained at a lot of gyms, like even in Japan, when I lived there for eight years, I spent four years at one gym, two years at another and two years at another. And I was kind of searching for something like one place had really great sparring, but not a lot of like good individual coaching. Another place had good classes, good grappling, but not enough kickboxing. So I was searching. Right. And then even in Vegas, like for a while, MMA, well, MMA is fantastic at syndicate um but then i wanted more like specific jujitsu training so to train gi i went to dunham's but now the jujitsu program's amazing at syndicate so i'm doing my training at syndicate now so it just kind of i think depends for me once i find something and i i know i can improve there i'll stay there but if i need something i'll go searching for it is vegas going to be home for you beyond your fighting career do you feel like you've you've found a good place i wasn't sure but i, I think that's the case now yeah I think I'll stay. These are also an instructor at, at Syndicate, if I recall. Yes, I teach kids there. 
So, so when you when you come back after a fight and you're you're teaching your classes again, what are the kids? Do they have the kids watched your fights? Like, I, I don't know what age they are. I, my son's ten, and I, I won't let him watch the UFC just yet. But uh, I'm curious what what their responses are. Yeah, I teach um, ages five through seven, and then I assist in the big kids class seven or eight through fourteen. And um, I'd say about fifty percent of them watch it. And uh, I, I almost feel kind of bad, like showing them violence and blood and stuff. But I always, but they cheer for me, and um, they kind of understand it's just an athletic competition. And um, you know, the funny, they say funny things. Kids say funny things, right? They're like. So, teacher why what's wrong with your eye why is it a black eye and i'm like oh i got punched in my fight they're like oh you got punched i'm like yeah and they said does it hurt i'm like yeah a little bit but it's fine i gotta be tough and then i try to like use that to teach them life lessons or something like don't street fight this could happen only in sports yeah they, they can learn by example for sure yeah i i don't really i've got three kids but my oldest is 10 and i i just have no idea when i should introduce him to to this wonderful sport we have <laughs> I guess it depends, you know, as long as they understand that it's a sport and I don't know. I, I, I got censored a lot as a as a kid, no blood and guts, but I mean that was kinda like death, but this isn't death, so I don't know, it's kind of up to up to up to you. <laughs> and what um so at what age did did you begin training? Your first fight was at twenty one. When did you actually enter a, a gym to learn one of the languages of combat sports in your early ages? I like how you put that language of combat sports. Um, I started Taekwondo when I was 13. So I kind of got into it then. So do you consider that to be a late start? I'm not really sure. I know a lot of people now kind of start learning MMA as a whole. I guess, you know, they now just call it MMA where you mix all of the different, um, I guess, as I put it, languages together. And a lot of people get in, they start at 8, 9, 10. I I'm always curious as to when uh, you believe a, a good age is for somebody to, to get started in, in mixed martial arts. Well, the lifespan has changed, right? Like, I feel like when I first started fighting, fighters were retired by early 30s. It was like, oh, you're 34, you're old, like, retire, right? But now people are fighting into their 40s because of the science of recovery and, you know, smart training. Um, so, but, you know, there are more, but um, now that there are more schools, I think kids are getting into judo or jujitsu instead of just karate, you know, like, they have more of a chance. So I feel like, my generation uh, of UFC fans are having kids and putting them into jiu-jitsu, right? So now, like, you're, I'm seeing we're seeing all this explo eh. We're seeing the explosion of like 20-year-olds and 19-year-olds who have been training for like 10 years, right? Um, and they're fantastic. So like, they've developed super, super athletes. So I mean, if you want to fight in the UFC, then you have a higher chance if you get put into it as like a little kid and then grow up doing it all your life. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy have you put any sort of shelf life on your career i mean you're, you're the same age as i am you're 38 i, I just turned 39 but um when you when you look at your career you, you just beat andrea lee who's a top fighter in, in the flyweight division you were had a very close fight with lauren murphy who is probably almost next in line for a title shot might be maybe second in line for a title shot right now you're having a lot of success against the best people at your weight class at your current age did you think at all about when um you might want to stop doing this yeah, years ago, I thought I'd be retired by mid-30s, but I feel like I found John Wood, I found Lorenzo Pavlica, my strength and conditioning coach, and man, I owe him so much. He helped me get over chronic shoulder and back and neck pain by strengthening me and like rehab stuff. So I feel like great. Like I feel better now at 38 than I did at 28. I was in such pain like every day. I could barely, barely lift my arms at 28. I was in so much pain, but now I feel awesome. Like, I don't know. It's 
amazing. Well, I think it speaks kind of to the evolution of the sport, right? The science is starting to pick up on it and you're starting to see people that are able to cater strength and conditioning and medicine specifically to the sport. Yes, also uh, Terry Wallace is my massage therapist. She does like resistance stretching and sports massage and she's helped keep me in shape and in the, on the training mats. And we're also seeing USADA now they're, I guess, I believe it was yesterday they announced that they're no longer going to be sanctioning people for using um, cannabis or marijuana uh, going forward because they feel like there's a good um, good effects of pain management. They, they prefer that people go that route than opiates if it works for them. Um, is it interesting to see the, the sport kind of evolve from a science standpoint? Yes, to be honest, I never smoke anything or do anything like that. So I just kind of assumed that, you know, a while ago I assumed marijuana was just to get high, but then I started learning it's, man, it's really used for pain management and sleeping and anxiety reduction. So to that effect, like maybe it's useful to some regard. And, you know, I think that the times have to adapt and take that into account a little bit, you know, to a certain degree. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I do a, a podcast with Joe Valtellini, who was uh, a champion in glory kickboxing. And um, he, he retired due to um, head injuries. He, he didn't want to continue to risk his, uh, you know, his, his brain health going forward. But he said that uh, using cannabis w was a good way for him to really get out of um, his depression and get out, you know, and, and manage his pain uh -huh. rather than using opiates. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, I, I just find it interesting that, that, that the science continues to just evolve with the sport to, to such an extent. It, it's really quite amazing. I mean, you've been, you've been in women's MMA for about as long as women's MMA has existed. So you've gotten to see all of the different changes that the sport has, has made. What do you think is the biggest change? Like for, from where you were 17 years ago to where you are now, what do you think has been the most important change? I guess I, I'll ask in that, in that way. Uh, I think the development of the skill and techniques, like in the past when somebody wrestled somebody to the ground you know, there's the whole lay and pray phrase. We haven't really heard lay and pray, have we? No, because people are very effective grappling. Now you take somebody down, there's a scramble. It's really entertaining. Like I haven't heard the people yell like, ref, stand them up very much, right? So I feel like there's a lot, there's so many more techniques. The techniques have evolved and um, the fights are just less grappler versus striker and more like a whole like art of mixed martial arts. It's kind of evolved into like that. That's what I think. It is really cool. Just as somebody who's watching, I guess, from the sidelines as someone who covers the sport, I just I can't imagine what the sport's going to look like in five years. And that's what makes it such, such a fun sport to cover. It's, it, I still feel like the sport is in its absolute infancy. And as we continue to see the growth and see people become uh, so well-versed in all of the different skill sets, I just can't imagine how the sport's going to look in five years. I, I can actually imagine. I think it's going to turn into a group of super athletes who – the most effect, the most um, successful will be the youngest ones who have started like w when they were five and they developed and then they're young and they have all the youthful energy and power and stuff to compete. And they're so good at jujitsu and wrestling and everything. I think that's going to be like super athletes. So maybe weaker people like me might not have a place anymore, but we'll see. I'm still getting stronger. That's well, interesting because if you look at the champions, I, I think there's only, what, one champion under 30 in the entire promotion? Like, I think Piotr Jan might be oh, the really? only champion under 30. So it still seems like the, the folks that are in that kind of 30 to 35 range are, are at the championship level while the younger people are still kind of catching up. It's probably because we've evolved with the times. 
I don't know. My opinion. <laughs> well, it's been cool to see. It's been awesome to watch your progression in the sport, Roxy. And, uh, and best of luck to you against Viviane Araujo. It's this Wednesday, January the 20th in Abu Dhabi. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Tune in. This has been the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. Big thanks to all of my guests, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker, Michael Chandler, Roxanne Modafferi, and to you, the listener. Now, as I mention seemingly every week lately, we don't really have any sponsors, ads during this show. All I ask is for you to go on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Give this a five-star review. Leave some nice uh, words, kind words about this particular podcast. It doesn't cost you anything, and it helps us out. Just like we help you out on your commute, your walk, your, your day at the office, wherever you choose to listen to this show, I feel like we're helping you out. So just do us a little bit of a favor. Rate, review the show. That's all I can ask for. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week, potentially, with some interviews. I know we don't have an event coming up uh, the following week, but I, I am hoping to still speak with uh, some guests, as I do every week. Recap UFC 257. I know myself and Joe will be on to recap UFC 257. So thanks for tuning in, and uh, look forward to speaking with you again soon.